Hello, everyone. My name is Rick Olmstead. And my name is Becky Olmstead. And we are excited to share with you today a vision that God has given us about raising up a generation to change the world. We sure are. Uh, a little background. Uh, I was a teacher and a coach and a principal of, of a high school and a pastor of a little church. I really didn't want to be a pastor, but I was for a while. And then there was that time I felt God, we felt God, was calling us to move to Colorado and start a church, uh, which we did. And uh, as time went on, we were able to send out 30 pastors to various churches and uh, and God began to, to grow our church and we became leaders in, in the Vineyard Movement. And um, we're really excited about what God is doing and share with you today about God's heart and we think our heart too. I, on the other hand, grew up in the church and I've always had a love for kids from the time I was a teenager, I was babysitting. I think it was... I was eight when my sister was born, my younger sister, and I always thought she was my personal doll. And so I've always loved kids. And then I went to college and became a teacher, and I've led kids' ministry in our church that we had for 37 years. And I, um, for a long time now, I've been leading the Vineyard Kids USA Task Force. And now, as we've passed on our church in uh, 2019 to another younger couple, we're global leaders of the 414 movement. And, you know, we have a unique situation that I didn't grow up in the church and I have a heart for those outside and Becky has grown up in the church. And so we have a unique perspective from the inside and the outside. You know, in the Vineyard movement and worldwide, we have a slogan that I love and, it's a, and it says this, everyone gets to play. Yeah. It's not just for a, a, an elite group of people, but God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so we, we really bought into that and it's, we're excited about that. And we talk about that everywhere we go. But it's not reserved for a chosen few, but for anyone mm -hmm. has access to the ministry of Jesus. But we believe it also includes kids. And I didn't even see that for a long time. It's like, I didn't even think that was for adults. But what if everybody gets to play includes children? Jesus said in Mark 10, 14, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Somehow, I don't know how it works, but we dismiss that. Like Jesus was just maybe a little saying to prove a point, but Jesus really meant it. Don't get in the way of kids coming to me. Let them come to me and don't hinder them. Don't put obstacles in their way. Don't keep them away. One time he says, the kingdom of God belongs to them. And if you want to experience the kingdom and enter into the kingdom, you need to be like them rather than them being like us. Isn't that upside down? Yeah. Instead of us becoming... That's you know, the them, kingdom of God. It's upside down. Yeah, it is. Instead of children becoming like us, which we want them to grow up, it says, be like them if you're going to experience the fullness of the kingdom. So, so Becky, talk about how do we hinder kids coming to him? I don't think um, we ever intentionally want to do it. And I don't think the disciples no. really realized how seriously uh, they were offending Jesus by trying to it's stop. It's just part of their culture, yeah. wasn't it? Uh -huh. Yeah. But I think some of the ways we do is that we don't realize the spiritual ability that kids have to understand things about God in simple, yeah. childlike ways. Or we think that um, we need... Uh, what's best for adults when we're working with kids. We think, oh, we can only have people work once a month because we don't want to put too much of a burden on the adults. And then we're really doing things that keep the kids from coming to Jesus because they don't have that relationship with the adults to have them lead them to Jesus. They can kind of tell it in some way that they, yeah. we lower the bar. That's yeah. like, you're not, you're important, but you're not too important. 
Yeah, and then sometimes we expect kids to learn and be discipled in the same way as adults are, and so we want it to look a familiar way to we, how we would respond as adults to think that kids really understand. You know, I remember saying a child that behaves really well, he says, that is a great child. And a great child usually is someone that doesn't act like a child. Yeah. A child, a great child is like one that adult. acts like an yeah. adult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you know what? I believe we're in a new day. I yeah. believe a wind is beginning to blow. And there's signs of a move of God all around the world. And he wants to reveal himself to the kids. And he wants to empower them to spread his love to the world. He wants to use the kids yeah. to reach the world today. That's revelation right He wants there. them to be his force of love and power in the world today. And he's awakening this generation to foster a move that can awaken the whole world. Yeah. I think we're living in really exciting times. And you know, I see it happening with our work in the 414 global movement even more in developing or the majority world than we even see it in our country today. But I believe that the move of God is sweeping across the world and it's gonna hit our countries that are more Western too. Yeah. But in other parts of the world, we see kids leading kids to Jesus all the time. We see kids who are praying for their nations to be changed and seeing changes in their nations. We're seeing kids or teenagers going out and planting churches, yeah. teenagers, not adults. Crazy, huh? Yeah. You know, one of the things we've discovered in, as we've traveled in the majority world that they have so much to teach us because they, they don't see uh, children as tomorrow's generation. They see them right now and they're empowering kids and it's an amazing, amazing thing. One of the groups that's really caught our attention is a group called the Royal Kids of, of India. And this is an example how God is using kids in amazing out-of-the-box ways. We're in, in India, in Chennai, India, mm -hmm. uh, 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 Pastor Anton Cruz, who's a dear friend and an influence in our lives, they took orphans off the street, the untouchables of India, and they turned them into ambassadors, powerful ambassadors for Jesus. These were the kids that if they showed up in front of a business, the, the business owners would try to get them away. We don't want them near near our, 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 our businesses, our stores. And then these these kids started coming and praying for the businesses and all of a sudden people started coming there and they said, no, we want the kids back. And then these kids, they ended up having their own TV show and they had call-ins, they were praying for people, they were doing the worship and they were running everything. And it's just like, this is crazy. How can that, how can that happen? Yeah. But nobody told them no. And so these untouchables became uh, transformers of, of their culture and they would go and gather kids and they would begin to gather you know, almost little clubs and then uh, their adults, their parents would start coming and churches would get started and it's just like so powerful. And we've experienced that these kids pray for us. Yeah, they we, do. At one, at one point, what, I think we had 10,000 royal kids praying yeah. for a gathering of the 414 that we had uh, in, in, the, in Minneapolis area years ago. It's like, that, that is just overwhelming. I remember so cool. before that, I was feeling really um, oppressed and having a really hard time. And I got up one morning and I was just so much lighter. And I remember going for a walk thinking, somebody's praying for me today, I can feel it. And then I found out that day, at that time, those royal kids uh, were praying for us. So it was pretty precious. Even recently on, uh, on April uh, 14th, 14, that we had people all over the world praying and the world kids joined in. Yeah. And just so powerful, they let us know that thousands of their kids were, were praying for us and, and there they, they are again. Yeah. Becky, talk about um, your journey 
because I followed you. You were the leader in all of this. So talk about our journey. Okay. I told you that I've had a heart for kids since I was young. But in our early days of the vineyard, I remember one day when I was going in and setting up a classroom and I had this thought come into my head, what if the vineyard could be known for its love for kids? And I thought, oh, that would be so cool. I would do anything I could to help make that happen. And I said, yeah, right. That, well, I had lots of faith for that, like not. So I started doing that and God opened the door for me to start the kids task force a few years after yeah. that. And I got to influence um, what was going on in our vineyard churches through my task force. And then that was like in 1997 that God started working in my heart. Well, in 2011, I remember, Rick, you were teaching a leadership class. And I was just there to be supportive. And I was standing in the back. And I remember God said to me, what if you just say yes, whatever comes your way regarding kids? I mean, it just came out of the blue. It wasn't a ministry time or anything. I was just sitting there thinking. And I thought, wow, what, what would that look like? And I kind of had a picture of a surfer riding a wave and you just go where it takes you. And I thought, wow, I don't know what that would mean or what it would look like, but it sounds kind of like an exciting adventure. So I said, okay, God, I'll say yes. And then I saw him start opening some doors that hadn't been open before. I was asked to do some consultation for a church and and uh, go to a conference on world hunger with kids. And then I got this email in my inbox, and it was I didn't even know who it was from, but it was inviting me to a conference in Singapore. And the topic that I was gonna be learning about was holistic child development in the local church. And I thought, wow, I've never heard anybody talk like that about kids ministry, and that sounds really interesting, but I don't do that. I'm not gonna be going to Singapore. And I was about to delete the email, and I thought, wow, what if this is part of saying yeah. yes to God? And so I didn't tell Rick about it right away, but pretty soon I told him, hey, I got this email and I, I hadn't told him that God had asked me to say yes either to whatever came my way. But I shared with him and I said, what do you think? Do you think that this would really be God and something I should do? And I said? You said yes. And I was really surprised and I was thinking, wow, okay, well, if I'm going to go to Singapore, I want to take somebody I know that's really into kids, and this could be an exciting adventure. And so I started thinking about it, and then Rick said, and I think you should take me. Actually, I, I don't surf, but I want to get my surfboard and catch the wave that she was riding on. And I don't even have any idea that, uh, what this was about, but, and it's a kid's thing, but I felt like I was supposed to go. I really did. Not just to go to Singapore. I thought he just wanted to take a trip to a foreign country he'd never been to. And you thought I'd be a distraction and of wouldn't course. want to go to all the He's meetings. He's not into kids, yes. And yeah. he doesn't even really like conferences. She was right. So I had an ace in the hole. I said, well, it's an invitation-only conference, and so I'd have to see if I could get you an uh -huh. invitation. And so I wrote him, and of course they said he could come. <laughs> so off we went to Singapore. It was uh, over 1,000 people from 92 nations. Yeah, and in my track of holistic child development in the local church, I was one of three people with white skin. And I was just so excited to be a part of something mm -hmm. where God was moving around the world and I could learn from them. I hated the attitude of the white American that knows everything. I just hated that attitude. And so it was so fun to be a place where I was just a learner. And it was so fun to be there. And Rick was having fun in his track too. He kept telling me, hey, you've got to meet all these people. They're your kind of people, Becky. I was captured by, I thought it was a bunch of kids people from around the world gathering. 
and it found out it was missions people, a guy named Louise Bush, who was coined the phrase that the 1040 window, that geographic window of the most unreached people groups. And, and they were talking about this as a move of God and the earth and God has raised up a generation and then one after the other would be speaking and it's like, where did you guys come from? You, and it's like, I started taking notes because I thought, I've been part of a, the, a movement, the vineyard movement. I want to take notes and see what I can learn from this. And I was still an outsider, but I was intrigued by what I was hearing because it's like, wasn't what I expected. Yeah. And so you ended up, God spoke to you. I was along for the ride and went to a track. They put me in a denominational leaders track because I was a national vineyard, have been uh, for a long time. And, uh, and so they put me in this track and I was being drawn in. And that was the last session. A guy talked about, uh, the, a guy named David Ramirez, as it turns out, on the Father Heart of God, which is my story. And all of a sudden I felt the Spirit of God on me and nobody, it's not happened to anybody else in the room. And that's what happens to me when everybody's getting blasted by the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, what's happening? And then sometimes I'm the only one to say, oh no, not one of these. All of a sudden I couldn't stop crying. And, and my, I could hardly, you know, keep my eyes shut. It was just a, a, quite an event. And I heard a voice that was to be life-changing. Mm-hmm. And it was, Rick, I want you to give the rest of your life to this. It's like, no, I, I pastor pastors. You know, I, I, you know I'm, a, I'm a national leader in Vineyard USA, and I pastor pastors. That's my heart thing. And, and Becky, you're good with the kids, and I'm supportive of you. And that's what so many pastors say, by the way. They're supportive, but... God was wanting something more. And I didn't know what to do with it. I thought maybe I should resign our church and, and start working with younger people. And, um, and, I, and I also heard in, in that moment, Rick, your life is about to make sense. Uh, I, I was a teacher and a principal and, and, and a coach. And, and I had spent such a much, uh, much of my life in, in education. And, and all of a sudden it's like, God, have you set all this up? For, for a time of this. And I actually talked to Louise Bush and said, maybe I'm supposed to quit. He said, don't you dare. We need you to be a champion to senior pastors and, and help them see what they can't see and to begin to draw them into it. So I, I have been captured. And I was, and the, the last thing I think I heard Becky was that you need, you're relying on Becky to do it all and you need to rise up and be a champion yourself for the cause of, of kids and share with other pastors so they can be awaken. You know, I didn't figure this out. It was the Holy Spirit that came. And I think he's doing this in our churches around, around the world. And now 10 years later, we've given up our church and we are the leaders of the 414 How global crazy movement. Isn't is it crazy is that? And we just and went to the that's conferences. That's another story. <laughs> we won't tell right? that now. But we went to the conferences yeah. and we were just happy to serve. And then, and all of a sudden it's like at the week after we told our church we're stepping down, uh, leaders of this movement invite us to New York. It's maybe 12 people. And they said, you are supposed to lead this. And my first thought, I want to run away. You got to be kidding. Becky wasn't even in the meeting. And, and all these things began to develop. And so here we are leading the global 414 movement. And we're so excited about and the privilege about what God is doing. Well, there's nothing like being part of something that's really close to God's heart. Becky, so God has really used you in, in understanding the holistic aspects of children. That's your background, being yeah. a child development major. Talk about that. Okay. Well, in Luke 2.52, we learned that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. He grew in all four areas of development. 
And I know as a child development major that children are born with windows of learning mm -hmm. in each of those developmental areas of life. There's a time for emotional development. They learn trust within the first 14 months of a child's life. There's time for motor development. They learn to walk by the time they're two years old. If they don't, they can still learn a different way, but it's not, it doesn't come natural because those windows of development never completely close. But there are prime times for learning and then there's seasons for them to be enhanced and then it can still happen, but it takes a lot of work. And then there's also um, windows for learning to talk. Uh, we have friends who yeah. are missionaries in another yeah. country. They're in um, Austria. He's American and she's German. And they had a little girl and they, when she was born, they decided she'd only speak German to her and he'd only speak English. And so they did that for the first few years of her life. And then when we went to visit her when she was three, she was completely bilingual. She would talk to her mom in, in German, and then she'd turn and answer her dad in English. And then and we tried to speak to her. We tried. We asked her, Wo ist der Hund? And she answered us in English. She said, the dog's over there. It was just unbelievable because they leaned into that window, window of developmental, that window, developmental period of time. And it's the same way with a kid's spirit. The first four years of a child's life, they are so open spiritually that that spirit, if you nurture that spirit in those first few years where you teach them about love and trust and um, you connect it to the God who loves them and trusts them, it develops something deep inside them that they have a knowing, trusting yeah. relationship with yeah. God. And then as it's enhanced through the next years through puberty, it's just natural for a child to come into relationship with Jesus because that's the yeah. way God created kids to be. He wants kids to come to know him. And it's that's the prime time that he created them to come into relationship with him. And then we began to discover that there were studies from different people and Barna was one of them about that window when people that, as adults that came into a relationship with Jesus, that the largest percentage came so came to Christ in the window of that four to 414, even more the four to 18 yeah. range. And it's like, then why don't we invest more into that? Yeah. If that's the window when kids are most receptive to the gospel and, and spiritual things and thing of God, well, then what are we doing uh, by, by waiting? And so Barna showed that most, um, most people, adults, most adults that came to Christ, they, they encountered God before the age of 13 in some way, another 21% before the age of 18, another 13% by the age of 21. And here it is, here's the kicker. Only 23% of adults following Jesus came to know him as an adult after 21. Doesn't mean you can't, right? right. That spiritual window, window never, never closes, closes. Yeah. and you've taught me that. Yeah. But you know what? There is a window, and we've and we're, we've committed ourselves to that window, and uh, and seeing it. what God has has to do. You know, out of that, we've we have a strategy that we didn't come up with. When Louis Bush was talking in Singapore, he was talking about uh, a, a passion and a strategy and a, and a, and a vision uh, that encompasses four key words, and I I was just captured by it. And it was the words were reach, rescue, root. And, and release, and Becky and I embody these in, in different ways. And the first one was reach. And Becky, why don't you talk about how that impacted you? Because that's your heartbeat to every it sure child. Is. It's awakening a generation to life with Jesus. And I am so passionate about it because I was a kid who came to know Jesus. I was only five years old. My seven-year-old sister 
found out that she could have a relationship with Jesus, and she prayed and came home and told my parents and told me, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. And so the next, one of the following Sundays, I was at church on a Sunday night because we went to church all the time, and the pastor talked about having a relationship with Jesus, and I thought, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. And when he asked if he wanted to uh, do that, raise your hand, I raised my hand. But nobody acknowledged that I was doing that. They didn't know that God was already working in my life and I had already known that's what I wanted to do. So instead of an adult praying with me, I did what I knew we did in our church. We prayed, I prayed by myself, invited Jesus into my life. I felt a warmth that I can still remember to this day that started in my head, went all the way down to my feet and I have followed Jesus ever since. And the first person I told was my sister, who was seven. Did. And I am so passionate about kids knowing Jesus that I um, wrote a book about how kids can come to know Jesus called The Best News Ever. And I've had an opportunity to share that book and talk at kids camps and um, at just times with churches. And in 2019, I saw over 337 wow. kids I was, say I yes was here. to Jesus. It was powerful, right it was here. pretty cool. Yeah. You know, and I come from the other side. By the way, when Becky told me that, five years old, it's like, yeah, you're sure you did. You think you did. Because I had that same attitude that a young child like that, a five-year-old couldn't do. And we're discovering stories from a lot of people that had an a encounter lot. with Jesus. Yeah. And Becky had an authentic encounter with the living God that adults didn't even lean into because they didn't expect it that could happen. The, the next R uh, hits my world a little bit. And it's, a, it's the rescue, bringing hope to a generation at risk. So I didn't, as Becky went to church all the time, uh, I didn't go to church at all. Uh, I, was, uh, I was born in, in, uh, in, in adultery. My mom had an affair with a married man and grown by a, grew up by a single mom of 19, and church wasn't a part of, of our life. And then there was a point, I think I was around 12 years old, a family saw that I was in trouble, and they didn't just see me. They did something about it, and they invited me to come live with them. And I had two uh, half-brothers and a half-sister, and I kind of blew up the family, but I went for it. And I went to live with this family. I ended up living with three more families to get through high school. And what happened is that they gave me a chance at a life I couldn't get to. I couldn't, but they didn't just see me. They actually did something about it. And I look back, and I'm just forever grateful and so somebody you know, rescued me, and there's a whole generation out there. They're, they're in harm's way. And we want them to know Christ, and we want them to, uh, to do all this and that, but they, sometimes we gotta pull them out of the holes that they're in, in the darkness, and, and we've, we gotta be advocates for them and activists for them as well. So I have a huge heart for, for rescue and reaching those that are, that are outside of the church and outside, of, outside looking in. Yeah, I am grateful too to that family that rescued uh, Rick to Mr. and Mrs. Miller. Forever. Oh, they were. It was it was a tough going from no discipline to total discipline. <laughs> but I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another um, R is to root, cultivate life changing God moments yeah. that will last forever. Because I know that what changes a child's life isn't having enough Bible knowledge. It's experiencing God. It is. And so we want to provide opportunities for kids to experience God and get to know for themselves, have their own God stories and know for themselves that God is real. And I, um, I love being a part of that in a child's life. I remember one time I was doing a small group and we were talking about standing up for God and this one little girl told me, oh, I could never do that. And we talked about it a little bit more and then she went home and the next week she came back and she said, guess what? 
I got to stand up for God this week. I had a friend that told me she didn't believe in God, and I said, well, I do. He's real. And I was so proud of her because she had her own moment of knowing that that was true. And um, I just think it's really cool when kids can have their own God stories. And Becky's been a champion of making sure in our church and everywhere she goes that every child has a chance to come in a relationship with Jesus. And not that Bible knowledge is bad because it's important to have you know, a biblical worldview, but we think just given the, uh, the information, the right knowledge is going to get it done. But they need an experience with the living God. Yep. And we believe in that deeply that they won't walk away from that. The, the fourth R is what uh, we call release. And that comes back to me. I, I have a, a, a big heart for that. And that's empowering a generation to change the world. The message too often that we send the younger people, the kids and, and youth as well, is that your day is never today. Your day is always tomorrow. And we talk about the next generation, the next generation. And sometimes what, what, what happens is when we get to them, they're, they're not even around for that. So we don't see them as the next generation. We see them as the now generation. We had a young guy uh, named Bryce, and we, I just love Bryce because he was just crazy, and he was so in love with Jesus. He, he went to school, started praying for his friends and starting you know, clubs, Bible stuff at, at, at church, and, and then he started praying for his teacher and doing those kinds of things. We had a teenage boy that uh, took a homeless man uh, to home with him in the middle of the night. His parents woke up, and there's this homeless guy with them, and he had a real deformed foot and some things going on. He's praying for his feet. And it's like he didn't know better because nobody told him he couldn't and he's stepping up. And we're seeing that happen everywhere. That the younger generation, they're ready right now if we dare to believe them and release them and give them an opportunity. They Sometimes they see needs that we don't even look at. And then they step out and meet those needs because yeah. they have the courage to do it. So and you know, when, cool. when you read the Bible, it's there. It's, God uses kids, you know, all over, all over the scriptures yeah. in, in ways it's like, where, yeah. how do we miss that? Yeah. I love the story of Moses. A whole nation was born because a little girl saved her brother in the river. She just watched over him and kept him safe, like her mother told her to, until he was rescued by the princess. And he, was, uh, he grew up to be the yeah. rescuer of the people took him out of bondage of Egypt and brought him in. And she had no idea at that moment what what was going to be the result of that moment. So she she was the reason he was saved. Or Samuel, who saw the king and a little boy named David, when his own family overlooked him. They didn't invite him when the prophet Samuel wanted to come and anoint one of the sons. They never assumed it'd be him because he was the least of the group. And uh, But Samuel saw the king and the boy. That's kind of typical, isn't it, Becky? That's like, is this it? These guys fit the bill, but there wasn't it. It's like, do you have another son? It was like, yeah, David's over here, but and it was him. And then Esther was an orphan girl raised by her uncle, and she saved her nation. And even Jesus, our Messiah, came as a baby. God could have sent him as a full-grown adult, but he valued that childhood and sent him as a baby. I I love when you tell the story of Samuel and Eli. I I love that story because Samuel was a little boy living with the priest Eli. His mother had dedicated him to the Lord, so he was living in the temple. And he woke up one night hearing someone call his name, and so he went running to Eli. Three times he went to Eli, ready to do whatever Eli wanted. But it wasn't Eli that was calling him. And finally, Eli, the adult, caught on. 
Oh, I think God's calling him. But it took him. him a little while. Yeah, three times. Because Samuel's a little kid. Yeah, and so he taught him, though, how to respond, that if he calls you again, say, here am I, and you listen to what he says, and then you make sure you share it all, you don't hold anything back. And so he became a great prophet of Israel because he was trained by Eli the priest, and God called him as a yeah. child to give the priest Eli a message. So we, we believe that kids have way more potential sure do. than we recognize, don't yeah. we? Yeah, and God trusts them a whole lot more sometimes than we do. <laughs> That's crazy, but yeah, and as he should. <laughs> uh, so in Acts 2, 17 and 39, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams. Ooh, I like that one. The I like promise that. I is like for the old men. you and your children yeah. and for all whom the Lord yeah. Our God will call. Yeah. It's not just for adults. I, when I used to read that, I think children, I was thinking, oh yeah, grown-up children. I have grown-up children. My sons my, are grown-up children, but they're still sons. But I think it was meant for kids too. Yeah, when I read this verse, and, and Becky kind of has been a tutor to me along the way of really seeing the kids in scripture and in our church and around. And so I'm, you know, it's because of you that I, I'm, I'm here. But it. A question that comes out of that verse is like, what the what ifs? What if God has distributed his gifts and miracles among children and young people, not just adults? What if the more that all of us are asking for, the more of the power of the Holy Spirit, the more healing, more prophecy, more words of knowledge, more deliverance, more of everything, what if it's already been given to us and it resides right next to us in, in, in the little ones, in the, in the young ones? Mm-hmm. You know, if 30%, and that varies in different parts of the world, what if 30% of, of any um, uh, demographic is children. What if God has poured out 30% of his gifts in those and, and it's right there? So we had a situation in our church to somebody that was very close to us mm-hmm. and uh, she was di- diagnosed with cancer. Fourth, stage four, yeah. Stage four, it's, it's horrible. And the more we prayed, the worse she got to the point, I don't want to pray anymore. Yeah. And we had prayed along the way and seen people healed and others not. And we just prayed and prayed. And every time we prayed, she got worse. Yeah. And then I had this thought, what, back from Singapore, yeah. what if the kids are supposed to be part of some of this? And so we started a, a, a night of, for healing and prayer. And I said, tonight, only the kids pray. And uh, I invited people to come. If you've got a disease or something that, that you're wrestling with and can't get through, and uh, Sarah was her name, she came. And we had them stand in the, in the aisle. We let the parents, the, the parents and adults be there, but not, not close. They had to stand back. And I said, only the, the kids pray. And then there was a little girl named Faith. She was four years old. And there was a, a, a middle school boy. <laughs> yeah. And they were gathering around. And I had no idea what was going on. I said, oh, God, please, please do something. And so they were praying. I don't know what they prayed. And so Sarah goes back to the hospital, real deal. And the doctor says, all that mass that we've been looking at. And she had told her, you need to say goodbye to your husband, Sarah, because you're not going to make it. That's how serious it got. And now he says, Sarah, I have no explanation, but none of that mass is showing up as cancer. And I just thought, God, uh, did you give a four-year-old girl who had her own faith story and name faith, did you give her the gift of healing for Sarah? And it's just like I was captured by that. And it was just like, how powerful. And all I know, if I get really definitely sick. I'm, I'm not going to call a pastor. I'm going to find a child. And I had an experience. We went back to Singapore. Yeah. I had broken my leg. 
And that was kind of a big deal. And I didn't want to go to Singapore on an airplane in a cast and all the rest of it. And I went back to the doctor after a few weeks. Uh, and uh, right before I went back, there was this little girl, three-year-old, Maya. And she said, Daddy, I want to pray for that man with a, with a hurt leg. She didn't know I was a pastor. She's a three-year-old. And so um, on a Monday, her parents brought her up to my office. She didn't have a clue what to do. And said, so I put her hand right on the broken leg. And, and what do I do? Just say, Jesus, heal, you know, Pastor Rick's leg or whatever. I don't know what I even said. And it's like, okay, that was right. Pat her on the head and let's go on. And I go to the doctor and they say, Rick, I, who I know well, said, Rick, I can't explain it. Your bone's completely grown together. You don't have to wear that cast. I don't, and then I told him the story about a three-year-old. And it's just like, God's doing this. Yeah. God's got so much that he's already given us. And I am just captured by the possibilities of, of all of that. Yeah. yeah. You know, that this, it speaks of an intergenerational. We believe in an intergenerational yeah. vision, don't we, Beck? Sure do. I, I love the, the Psalm in, in, in 78, where we hear, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and mighty wonders. How, for he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instruction to Israel. He commanded our ancestors, commanded, to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not born yet. Yeah. That's our grandkids. Yeah. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation, listen to this, each generation should set his hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. And I, I've heard this a lot, but it's creating space for kids to have their own story. And sometimes we can overprotect them. We can almost mm -hmm. protect them from God and let them you know, have their own stories where God come, comes true for them and that they can share those stories with people around them. You know, one of the questions I found probably, Becky, from young adults the most as they've grown up in the church is why would we want to inherit what you created? Because we want to pass on what we have to them. And I said, but what if we create the future together with this younger generation? That the older don't, like us, don't have to go away and neither do they. I think one of the most tragic things is if we somehow send a message to the younger generation that whatever God has called you to be and do, you have to go away to do it because you can't do, do it here. And I think that, that, is, that is tragic. And then for the older generation to feel like you know, we're redundant, there's no place for us. Yeah. What I hear from the younger ones is like, we need you. Yeah. And, and also we feel that way toward them. And, and so one of the driving things is I want our ceiling to be their floor yeah. and yeah. that they can stand on our shoulders. And for those of you that are older, they need some shoulders to stand on. Yeah. And a lot of the older generation, they're not anywhere around. And so they need strong shoulders to stand on as we engage them. Yeah. So I believe God is doing a new thing and we can be part yeah. of it. Wes Stafford, the, the president of Compassion International. And one of our heroes. Yeah, a while back. He's not anymore, but he told a story once. He's still once. our hero. Well, he's still our hero. <laughs> he's not the president He loves Becky right more than me. But, but he uh, told a story once about, he grew up in West Africa, and they had two seasons, a dry season and a rainy yeah. season. And he said before the rainy season came, they could, he could smell the rain coming. You knew it was going to come because you could smell mm. it in the air. And I believe we're in a season where we can smell yeah. the rain coming, that there is a move of God coming. Yeah. And it's just Amen. about here. Yeah. 
and we need to prepare for it. It's time for kids to take their place as equal partners in God's mission and that they can be part of what the Father's doing. And why not us join in and give the kids space? What if your vineyards made space for the kids in your church and saw the kids and reached out to them? What could happen? Yeah. I think we could see a revival of epic proportions if we do that. Because God is already at work and he's inviting us into what he's doing. And if we just say yes, like God told me in 2011 to say yes to what he's doing, then we'll see God mm. do things that we can't even imagine. And it's not just kids' ministry, is it? It's beyond that. It's not just yeah, a Sunday morning so, program. No. It's so far beyond that. It's all of life, helping them through all of life, being involved in kids in all stages of life, in your city, in the nation, in the world. And so I just believe that God is inviting us to something yeah. bigger than ourselves. And I, I, I have a story that I love about a little girl named Emma. She was part of our uh, special needs program in our yeah. church. We started a program that reached out to kids who couldn't normally come to church because there was no place for them to be. And we uh, invited the community with special needs to send their kids to our church. And one of the little girls who signed up was Emma. And she was in a wheelchair and she couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't see, but she could hear. Yeah. And every week her father would bring her and we had a buddy that took her and put her in with the kids and was with her while she was in the kids program, but she couldn't really participate. And one Sunday when I saw her father wheeling her in, I thought, God, does Emma get anything out of coming to church every Sunday? Yeah. And I, I just didn't even hear anything, but I asked him, I'm like, what, what is it helping her at all? And not long afterwards, I was in Poland, Warsaw, Poland. We got invited to do a Catholic young leaders uh, retreat. And a young Polish guy came up to me and said, my friend thinks he has a word for you and he doesn't speak any English, but can he give it to you? And I said, why, yeah, sure. And so he looked at me and he said, Emma is singing hallelujah. Yeah. When he that said still it, gets me. I knew immediately. Yeah that this was my answer to my prayer. I asked God, does Emma get anything out of coming every week? And God was saying, yes, Becky, her spirit is alive. She's worshiping me. You know, she loved music. She had this little music box that, they, that she would hit when she was upset and it would calm her down. She loved worship. And God was telling me, yes, you see her and you think, is anything happening at all? And he, she's a worshiper of me. I know that someday she will run into the arms of her father in heaven. And so I just love that there's so much more going on in the life of a child yeah. than we can see. You know, that has been a, a battle cry of sorts that, uh, that we would go all the way to Poland for somebody who doesn't speak English to say that. And it was for Emma. And we got to meet afterwards with her father. Yeah. But it started because you walked by her and you saw her. Mm -hmm. You, you had eyes for her. And then even what you said, you asked a question that only God could really answer. And where I came away from that is, if Emma's in, and she is, then who's out? Answer, no one. Everybody gets to play. Emma gets to play. Emma has a place and a spot in God's kingdom. And, is, and God's using Emma in, in the whole fabric. She, they, God has actually used Emma and her story in launching the 414 as Becky and I have begun to, begin to lead. And uh, I think that's the cry of a generation. Do you see me? 
I don't know, maybe inside of Emma, does anybody see me back here? I, you know, I, I can't do anything. I'm dysfunctional in so many ways, but it's like, she might've been saying, does anybody see me? God, do you see me? And God answered that, that prayer for her that, yeah, I, I do see you. I think one of our prayers, my friends, and for every church, and is not just having kids ministry and doing things. It's like, God, give us your eyes and your heart and the courage to say yes to what you're doing in this generation. Yeah. And they're not the next generation. They're the now generation. They're generation now. It's their time right now. And they're, and they're waiting and they're ready if we dare to come alongside of them and, in, and invest in them and empower them to be the, the ambassadors that God has called them to be. I, I love the words of David in Psalm 71 where he's reminiscing a little bit. And uh, I'm getting to that point in my life. But he says, since my youth, God, you have taught me and to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, of all the things now that David could ask God for, he says, do not forsake me, my God, until I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. That was David's prayer. Whatever I have left, let me impart what you've done in my life, impart what I know of you, what I've experienced with you. Give me room, give me time to impart that to this generation that's, that's growing up. Yeah. I love it. I do too. Now is a good time to evaluate how are we doing in reaching kids. Are we getting yeah. the results that we want? Are we seeing lives really yeah. transformed? And you know, with COVID-19, we've seen a lot of changes happen in the world today. Yeah, we've had to readjust how, like we, how do we buy groceries? Instacart is the new thing of having your groceries, you go online, order them, show up at your door. Um, how we're working from homes, kids have gone to school online. And even the new buzzword is pivot. Everybody's had to pivot. That's the, that's the operative word and yeah. I hear it everywhere. Churches are online and, and oh, small groups are on Zoom groups instead of in-person groups. And so it's a great opportunity to just take a look. I think God has given us this time as a gift to take a time to look and reevaluate what's happening in our churches and in our lives, in our families. And are we seeing the results that we really want to see? And so we, my heart and my heart is for you and your yeah. churches, that we would have kids that know Jesus Christ, that become like him yeah. and that they share him with their generation, that they follow Jesus for a lifetime. And so are we doing the things that result in 